Hey man, we thank the Lord for another day He allows us to see. Amen. We bless His name. Amen. We're going to uh, continue in our series, Intelligent Faith, from the uh, Book of Colossians. Tonight we're going to start in uh, at chapter two, Colossians chapter two, beginning at the first verse. Colossians chapter 2. Before we get in the word, let's open the word of prayer. Father God, we bless you, we thank you, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. Holy Father, we just want to thank you. And Holy Father, we just want to give you the praise and the honor. We're glad, Holy Father, that we have the assurance that, that you know what's going on. That you are in control. Because those guys in Washington don't have a clue. So it gives us comfort to know that we can put our confidence and our trust in you. And not in Washington, D.C. That city that is plagued with evil. Mm, strange things go on there. Oh, Holy Father, we're so glad that we have your word to put trust in. Lead us tonight in your word. If we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Intelligent faith. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Before we get started, uh, my son bought me a book. He knows that I like uh, Abraham Lincoln. A lot of the uh, writings that Abraham Lincoln has made and things he said... uh, uh, I like Abraham Lincoln. He was a wise man. And so he brought me this book, and it's called Abraham Lincoln's Daily Treasure. And it's a devotional that Abraham Lincoln used to read from when he was uh, the president. Old one, but uh, it has a lot of his, his sayings in here. But uh, what I'm about ready to read doesn't really fit with the message tonight. But uh, you know what we preachers do? Uh, we, we like to cram stuff in. <laughs> Even if it don't match the message of the sermon, we'll stick it in ourselves. So listen up. This one uh, devotional is called, uh, It's Not Outward Appearances That Count. It's Not Outward Appearances That Count. Abraham Lincoln never was good at first impressions. One man who was present at one of Lincoln's famous addresses said, When Lincoln rose to speak, I was greatly disappointed. He was so uh, angular and awkward awkward, that I had, for an instant, a feeling of pity for so an ungainly man. But after listening to Lincoln speak, this man's opinion changed. Pretty soon, he said, he began to get into his subject, and the whole man was transfigured. I forgot about his personal I forgot about his personal appearances. Forgetting even myself, I was soon on my feet with the rest, yelling like a wild Indian, cheering this wonderful man. He's the greatest man since St. Paul. Do you sometimes dismiss another person's views because of how he or she looks? Be careful not to put too much weight 
on outward appearances. You might just look past someone who could help you become your best friend or even help set you free. And my goodness, we know that Abraham Lincoln had the greatest part in setting the African American slave free, thanking over him. Okay, Colossians 2. Tonight we're going to move right along. We're going to shift and see what Paul is saying tonight to the uh, Colossians that were a good church, that was a, 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 a strong church, but they were still dealing with a lot of uh, heretics and false teachers that was coming in and trying to stir them away from the truth. So chapter 2, the first verse begins. He said, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf for those who are at Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face. When we left off in verse 29, we saw how Paul was in a constant struggle, laboring, striving uh, for the church at uh, Colossae. Now he continues in chapter 2 to tell us about how he continued to pray and how his battle was not only for the Colossians but also for the Laodiceans. The church of Laodicea. You'll, you'll find the Laodicean uh, church in the book of Revelation that were one of the uh, seven churches. It's also believed that at the same time Paul wrote the, the uh, uh, letter, the book, the, the epistle for the Colossians, it's believed that he also wrote an uh, epistle to the Laodicean church. But we don't have a copy of that, so that's merely speculation. But his concern was for both churches, and he prayed and he battled in the spirit for these churches. And he did it. He never even saw the uh, people at Colossians, but he still prayed for them. He still, as if they were his own children, as if they were his own sons and daughters, which in fact they were. And that's the attitude we have to take uh, when we're praying for the world, praying for people we don't know, praying for people we've never seen before. Uh, that's what the Lord calls us to do, to pray for the world. Lift them up in prayer. Pray for the government. Pray for our leaders, spiritually and naturally. Pray for the church worldwide. No matter if we know them or don't know them, we need to pray for them, and they need to pray for us. One writer said, Teach me to take the reproofs from my friends, even though I think I do not deserve them. Even though I do don't think I deserve the reproofs, you know, the, the, the corrections. Huh? But, but he, he asked the Lord to, to help him to accept those reproofs in prayer. Because most often times we can learn from people's criticism of us, their inputs, not all criticism is constructive, but all criticism should be taken a look a look at. 
and then take those criticisms or or, or, or those uh, or that advice you think you may not you take it to the Lord in prayer. Just like Paul, he he prayed about everything. He prayed for people he didn't, never even seen before. So we need to pray. Robert Schuller uh, 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 wrote a book entitled Prayer, My Soul's Adventure with God. I think he wrote one of the greatest books on prayers. On prayer. He said prayer should be an adventure. It should be something you do with the Lord spontaneously. You don't have to be in a church. You don't have to be at a meal. Whenever you feel the spirit to pray, pray. You don't have to be, you can be on the bus. You can be in your car. You can be at work. And your spirit is praying. Your spirit is talking to God. You just pray. And let God make the decision. You don't know. Like I said, like I I said, uh, starting out tonight, those guys in Washington, guys and gals, they don't have a clue what they're doing. So it seems. But we got to pray for them. One, One moment they agree. Next moment they don't agree. One moment they're hot. The next moment they're cold. Who knows what's going on with that. But we pray for them. That the Lord will send somebody with some common sense to do what they were sent to Washington to do for the benefit of the whole, not the few. We pray and let God make the decision. Verse 2. He said, he's praying that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mercy, of of God's mystery, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. Paul lets us know he wanted their hearts to be encouraged. But he said, having been knit, knit together in love. That's what's going to hold the church together is love. That's the bond that holds the church together. That's the glue. It's not a challenge, not our ability, but genuine love in the church is what holds it together. Because we oftentimes have conflicting views and and we disagree and we don't see eye to eye but love will hold us together love will keep us keep us uh, focused on the task at hand and he, he said also attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding and another word for the full assurance of understanding is insight he said we will benefit from all the wealth that comes from the insight and the, which is the true knowledge of Christ himself. He will give us this insight for living. God will give us insight into himself. He will give us that true knowledge. Now remember, the Colossian heretics were trying to pull them away and said that knowledge was somewhere else and knowledge was here, knowledge was no, no. Paul is he will give you the true knowledge which comes from Christ himself. In verse 3, he lets us know 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So everything we want to know about the world, about Christ, about the church, he said Christ is the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. Ultimately, wisdom is, is pretty much, my definition, uh, wisdom is pretty much the ability to use knowledge. The ability, that's just, uh, 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 once again, another definition that I would give it, put it in layman's terms. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge. You know, just like you go to, uh, uh, you got a gun in your hand. The gun is could be viewed as knowledge. But if you don't have the wisdom to use that gun, what good is it? You got to know how to shoot it. You got to know how to load it. You got to know how to aim it. It's more than just having a head full of knowledge, but you got to have wisdom. And that's what Paul was like to know. Jesus Christ is the source of all that wisdom and all that knowledge. All we need is in Christ. He, in Him, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When I first uh, started uh, off working for the government, when I got out of the military, I worked as a budget tech, and uh, there was a lot to learn, there was a lot to know. But one of the things my uh, supervisor then told me, she said, Joe, you don't have to know everything about budget. So you don't have to memorize this. She, she said, nobody can do that. But she said, just know where to find the information you need. Know where to go to get the information you need. If it's a person, if it's a book, know how to get the information, but you can't remember it all. And that's that's what Paul was pretty much saying. No, you don't know everything. Saints, we can't, there's no way, but our source is Christ. We know where to go to get our prayers answered. We know where to go to get peace, to get mercy, to get forgiveness, huh? to get comfort. We know where to go. And that's what we have to focus on. Verse 4, he said, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Delude you with persuasive argument. Now, what is a persuasive argument? A persuasive argument is when we try to persuade our listeners to agree with, with our ideals. And this is what these people were doing to the Christian church. They were trying to get them, persuade them through persuasion. Smooth them over to agree and to get them to see from their point of view the way the world was and who was uh, the most powerful God and, and, and what cult they believed was above the church of Jesus Christ. They were trying to persuade them and, 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 and just the same way people do today. You don't need to try to get it. You don't need to do all of that. That's old-fashioned. You don't have to 
live like that no more. Get your boyfriend, get your girlfriend, get your, hey, hey, whatever floats your boat. They said, feel free. Trying to persuade us to change our mind and change our arguments from what is in Christ. Same thing going on. Different days, same devil. But was the argument the truth? Once again, it's a lot of sounds going out in the world. There's a lot of voices on the internet. There's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of a lot of stuff out there. Everywhere. But is it the truth? You listen to it long enough, it's going to start to persuade you one way or the other. But is it the truth? It must be compared to the truth of God's Word. Even me. What you hear me teach, compared to the truth. Is it the truth? Does it line up with the Word of God? The whole, all of Scripture. Here, and that's what they would say. And Paul was letting them know, be on, be on God. Because because they're they're trying to deceive you. Let's look at Second Timothy, where Paul also warns Second uh, uh, Timothy. He warns Timothy also about some deceivers that was trying to come in and persuade the church. In other words, Second Timothy, chapter two and verse seventeen. Second Timothy, chapter two, verse seventeen. We just want the A clause. We just want the A clause. And here Paul was telling Timothy to look out for these type of uh, empty teachers and and, and, uh, false teachers. He says here, And their talk will spread like gangrene. Talking about their, their lies, their deceit. He said it will spread like gangrene. What is gangrene? Gangrene is like a cancer. The dictionary says it's a type of blood poisoning that soon infects the whole body. You see what it do? It will soon infect the whole church. That's why you can't, you gotta stop it there. And then it also said gangrene, it says it will soon affect the whole body of which much amputation proves to be ineffective. Have you ever seen somebody the gangrene or gout or sugar diabetes? Uh, I had a friend in North Carolina uh, and he uh, he had sugar diabetes and first they cut off his toe before they cut off he was showing me his toe. It first was black, and then it was get green, and it just then it looked like possibly oozing out of it. And they cut off his toe, and then eventually they had to cut off a couple more toes. Then they cut off his foot. Then they went on up his leg. That's the way Paul said these deceivers. And these false teachers, they're spread through the whole church. And, 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 and amputation ain't going to do no good once it starts spreading. Most times, it'll end up killing them. 
That's why false teaching is dangerous. It's dangerous. Because some people's minds are vulnerable. Vulnerable. A lot of people don't have a strong mind. You can tell them the, the, the slightest lie. They'll believe it. And they'll go on with it. And, 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 and it's hard to get that lie out of their head. False teaching is not only dangerous, it's also, uh, 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 ignorant teaching is also dangerous. Mm-hmm. Ignorant teaching. What did Paul say? Paul said, I would not have you ignorant, brother. In several of his epistles, he said that because he don't want the people of God to be ignorant about the things of God when we don't have to be. So sometimes when we listen to certain teachings, this just shows that that teacher had a lack of understanding and, and, uh, and, and spoke about things that they didn't know. They didn't know about. If we don't know something, say we don't know nothing. Say we don't know about this subject. Leave it alone. Don't spread false doctrine and don't spread ignorant doctrine. Know what you're talking about when it comes to the word. That's what Paul said. Well, watch out for these arguments. Verse 5. He says, well, even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. Look at that. And once again, he, he, he's uh, commending the, the Colossian church uh, 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 because they had good things going. They were, they were a strong church. They seem to be rooted good. They just was running into trouble. Huh? They were just trying to fight out these uh, false teachers. But he says, I'm asking from you in body, but I am with you in the spirit. See, the Holy Spirit connects us to one another. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important to have the Holy Spirit and to live in the spirit and to understand when the Spirit is leading you. You know what I'm saying? So you will not just toss to and fro with every wind and doctrine. And we know the, 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 the cries and the teachings and the movements of the Spirit. It's important that we come to be aware of how the Spirit moves. It's because it, it connects us to one another because we need each other. Whether or not he wasn't there, he just he was still with us in the spirit. We can't be with one another now in this COVID season. You know, physically, we shouldn't be if we obey the laws of the land as the scripture tells us to do. Huh? Isn't isn't but think about it, church. Think about it, church. Isn't this what we as a church sort of kind of been preparing for? Wasn't the saints of old, didn't they used to tell us, I remember growing up, the saints used to say, there's going to come a time where we won't be able to meet in the churches. There's going to come a time where we won't be able to read about. There's going to come a time. A portion of that is here. We can't meet together in the churches right now because of the coronavirus. But if we have the word of God in our hearts, 
we can still be connected through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. We can still pray for one another. And the Lord lets us know such and such, such, such sister is going through. We may give them a phone call, may send them a text message, may pray for them. You know, connected through the Spirit. That's what Paul was talking about. Look at he said. He said, I'm also impressed with your discipline and stability in the faith. Discipline and stability in the faith. I'm underlining those two words now. Those are two good words. Stability and discipline. Another word for discipline is self-control. Self-control. This generation lacks self-control. Huh? It doesn't, this generation don't have it. Well, not only this generation, uh, the, a lot of the generation before them don't have no self-control either. Because you see some grannies out there hanging out. Can't stay away. No self-control. Can't control the bodies. Can't control their mouths. You know, no self-control. Can't put the phone down long enough to pray or to focus on God. No self-control. But Paul said it. Huh? The lack of self-control also produces a lack of stability. It produces a lack of stability. When you when you now Paul was telling the Colossians here uh, that they had this stability and they had this. He was commending them, but if they didn't have it, like a lot of folks today, they would need props. You know, they need props to hold them up. This generation, if, if they don't have a prop, they will fall down. If you're not calling them every week, well, I'm, I'm going to see you next week in Bible class. Yeah, I think I can make it. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to see you there. Okay, I'm going to tell you. And they get there, Lord, you better call them next week because they won't be that. They need a prop. Uh, did you read the Bible this morning? Well, I'm just having such a hard time. Did you did you pray? Well, I didn't really get around. They need a prop. He said, but the crushing church, they were stable in their faith. Church, we live in a day in a time where we do need each other. But if we can't get to one another, we should be able to say that we're stable enough to still be holding on to God. Holding on to his word. Holding on in prayer. Props. Keep them from going. Bye-bye. Verse 6. He said, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. He said, So walk in him. Look at that. He said, now, he said, as you receive Christ, he would so walk in him. So in other words, he would say, when you receive Christ, you have been saved. 
you have been saved. And it's like you was planted in Christ like a young tree that was planted by the river of the water. And you were planted close enough to the river of water, so you got plenty of water to nourish your roots and keep the soil moist in the hot summertime. And you planted where you get good sunlight when you receive Christ, you were planted in here. You got everything you need. See, he said, so walk in here. So walk in here. In other words, remember that word walk is another word for live or your life or your conversations. So, so live in him. Live for him. Live like him. I was listening to a Bishop Noel Jones the other day, he said something that that caught my attention. He said that um, a lot of people are calling themselves Christians today. I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again believer. But he said the word Christian means Christ-like. It means that we're like Christ. But he said a lot of Christians today don't look like Christ. Don't act like Christ. Don't sound like Christ. So the world is confused, he said. He said, so now there's this movement going on. Instead of calling people, instead of calling themselves Christians, they call themselves disciples. Well, okay, that's fine, but who you are a disciple of? He said, I'm a disciple of Christ. So you're still supposed to be Christ like. That's why Paul says here, you receive Christ. To walk in him. Live up to the name. He's not saying that you're going to cross every uh, T and dot every I. So if you're going to make a mistake, you're going to fall short. You ask the Lord to forgive you. If you fall short among uh, your friends and your family, ask them to forgive you and keep moving on. You don't stop. Huh? Uh, yes to her. And the and the tortoise run the race. Oh yeah, the, the hare, the rabbit, start off fast, gone. Just because the tortoise, the turtle goes slow. Hey, it ain't about how fast you get there or how fast you you finish the race. It's just about if you finish. You may finish the race before I do. I, you may be called out of this world before me. God calls you into glory, you finish your race. I may still be on the road trying to get to the end of my race. Hey, it ain't about how fast or slow you go. Just finish the race. Be a good Christian. Be a good example. Welcome. Verse 7, he said, Having been firmly rooted and now been built up in him and established in your faith, just as you have just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. And when I read this verse, I think of a tree. Let's read it again. 
having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See, he connects it all together. Uh, uh, giving us a word picture of ourselves as we grow in Christ as we become more mature in him. Remember he's trying to encourage the uh, Colossian church here. He said you you were rooted like a strong tree with deep roots. Huh? He said you were rooted deep roots. And then he said you've been built up or you've been edified in him. You're growing stronger, more mature by growing off of Christ that the roots are pulling in. See? Your roots are the word of God. And, 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 and you're, you're drawing in nutrients from him, from his word. You're drawing in nutrients from prayer and meditating. Huh? Taking time for him. That's where you draw your, your strength from. See, just like a tree. Drawing, drawing the water, the moisture through the root system. You can see, have you ever seen uh, uh, somebody? Somebody you know, maybe one of your kinfolk. And you see them, and you say to yourself, remember I said you say to yourself. Something come across your mind. You may think it, but you can't say everything you think. Just say to yourself, Lord, it look look like you're having a hard time. Or they may look tired. They may look beat down, huh? And they just look, you know, the skin that they're looking is right, you know. They, they, they're not drawn in from somewhere. They're not getting some nutrients from somewhere. Maybe they're not getting enough vitamin C or no vitamin E into the skin. Maybe they need some apple cider vinegar. Whatever it is, they're slacking something in the body. And then when we don't draw from, from the roots of God's word and prayer and meditation on him, we're going to lack something too. And we won't draw and we won't become strong. We won't become mature. Then he said they were established by your faith. Another word for established means you were strengthened by your faith. Huh? I know that says you were strengthened in your faith, but no, no. It says here a better translation is you were established by your faith. This is not a, 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 a faith that you had faith in, but no, no. This is the faith that you were living and walking through. You were strengthened by your faith, by what you do, how you live, what you talk, what you believe. That's by your faith. Hmm? You were stabilized. And you were unmovable. Do you know how hard it is to move a, 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 a good rooted tree that's been there for years? You know, if you don't have one of those machines that will dig down and, and, and get up that stump, you may cut the tree down, but the, the, that stump will be, still be there. The roots will still be in the ground. And if it gets enough water and enough sunlight, you're going to see some some branches and some young stems pushing out on that stump. And if it go too long, it'll go into another tree. It's hard to move a rooted tree. 
That's what Paul is saying. You'll be strengthened, stabilized, unmovable in your faith. And as you watch the saints of God leave this world back to back, that would, that would, it should, it should encourage you to run on a little farther, to run on a little harder, huh? To press in a little bit closer to God because we may be next. We're all in the dressing room, getting ready, getting ready. Then he says here, and after you establish it, he can then you'll overflow with gratitude, bearing fruit. You know, that's the leaves of a tree. You see the leaves of a tree? Overflowing with gratitude, that's the fruit and the beautiful leaves. Oh, I see in my mind a, a beautiful magnolia tree that they have in South Carolina, North Carolina. Those are the most beautiful trees. They have those big old white flowers and those big old luscious green. Overflowing with gratitude and fruit. That's what we do. Huh? When God establishes us, we don't become proud, full of pride and full of pomposity. No, no. We overflow with gratitude. We say, thank you, Lord. You know why? Because we, in the back of our minds, we know what we could have been. We know how God could have pulled the cover on our mess and showed it to the whole world. Huh? So we say, thank you, Lord. We know at one time we couldn't put a, two words together to form a complete sentence. Huh? So we say, thank you, Lord. Overflowing with gratitude. And we're not so quick to make fun of our sisters and brothers. For we know our sufficiency is of Christ, not of ourselves. Uh-uh. Anything we do that's good or that may benefit somebody, it's not of ourselves. It's all of Christ. It's all of Christ. Huh? It's all of Christ. <laughs> One man wrote about Abraham Lincoln, and they had a big old report out on him, and they said, oh, he he was a brave warrior in such and such a, a, a war and such and such a battle. They had Lincoln down that he done killed so many Indians and so many uh, uh, other warriors. Lincoln came back and said, no, he said, I ain't killed nobody. He said, I killed a, a bunch of bloody mosquitoes that was eating me up, he said, but I ain't killed no man. Hey! Told the truth. His battle wasn't full of lies, trying to make himself look like some something he was not. Our sufficiency is of Christ, and not of ourselves. What you, what? Tyler Bell said, "What you see is what you get." Hey, that's my life, baby. That was he said. Efficiency is the Christ. We ought to grow like a strong tree planted in him. When I went to LA, oh, they had these all these trees. I won't even I won't even talk about the uh, uh, the, the redwoods of, of Southern California. I never I didn't go there, but just the oak trees that was in the city of LA. 
they were so big. I mean, the roots were so huge. I got pictures. I mean, the roots were so big that they were coming, they were above the ground. And, and, and most roots, when they're above the ground, they don't get very much uh, nutrients because they're above the ground. But these trees were huge. They were beautiful trees. That's the way we ought to grow and trust. Solid. Verse 8. He said, see to it that no one takes you captive huh? through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ so here he sort of shifts and he sort of puts them on guard just like a dog would perk up their ears when they hear something like that see to it that no one takes you captive and this is not a word captive is not a word of somebody that was you know caught up in a trap you know that fell in the trap no no this word captive means to be snatched away and dragged off huh snatched away and dragged off a lot of people are snatched away and dragged off in the church through what he said through philosophy and empty deception and what else and traditions of men philosophy this hollow deception and traditions of men we gotta watch out for these three philosophy my definition is like a love of worldly wisdom hmm? It's a love of worldly wisdom. They seek truth through human wisdom. That's why they mess up. They, you know, not all philosophy is bad. Not all philosophy is bad. Plato uh, was a philosopher, and, and not everything he wrote was bad. But but when the philosophy tries to pull you away from the truth, but what they're philosophizing about when it goes against the truth, that's when it's trouble. That's when it's empty. That's when it's hollow. And that's when it's deceptive. Because most philosophers, the words sound so good. They pick the best words. They oh, they take they crap the English, the Greek, the Hebrew language. Oh, they can crap it and put it together just like a fine necklace, huh? And you'll be deceived. Well, they speak so good. they so educated, but... How does it square with the scriptures? Does it draw away from the truth? Because there is a there is no there is no truth in human wisdom. That's why you gotta watch with the traditions of men. There is no truth in human wisdom. Truth comes from God. Human wisdom, we can only speculate about truth or tell how much we know or how much we believe or how much God has revealed to us. But our truth must be rooted in the Word of God. Jesus will be on the lookout. He says, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Now, this word 
that he uses here elementary principles could be used in two ways here for elementary meaning elementary principles which means the basic worldly principles and it also means the elemental elemental spirits or demonic worldly spirits he means both here he means both he said these false teachings were based off the elementary principles of the world you know why because they focused on myths and the occult magic they had a thing with astrology and the stars elementary principles how can a star get me to worship it I can't worship the star I want to worship the one that created the stars huh? that's why he calls them elementary principles of the world but these elementary principles of the world are purported or, or supported or induced by the evil spirits evil spirits so not only is their teaching worldly it is also demonic and he tells us we need to watch out for it there's, there's, so, there's more than, than just <laughs> there's more than just uh, trying to teach you a different dogma or different doctrine but it's, it's, it's satanic it's something you should look out for now we're not saying to see the devil in every detail huh? we're not saying that and we're not saying uh, you found a miracle or if you get a parking space up front at Walmart either we're saying keep your brains about yourself but be on the alert be on the alert for false doctrines by evil spirits. Dr. Vernon McGee said, said, these type of philosophers, he said, they're like a blind man looking in a dark room for a black cat that's not even there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it is. He's empty philosophy, a blind man looking for a black cat in a dark room. He's not even there. There is no truth anything else except Jesus Christ. That's why the scripture says they are ever learning. Always learning but never able to come into the knowledge of the truth. How you doing, brother? How you doing? What you what you been doing? You well I'm in college, I'm going to get a degree. Well that's good, bless the Lord. See him four, three, five, four years later. Hey, how you doing? How you get on your degree? I got the degree now. I'm going up for a little higher. Going, I'm going for my uh, uh, master's. And you see them later, peers. Well, you still in school? Yeah, I'm going for my doctor's. Now, hey, hell What you know about Jesus? What you know about His word? Huh? Coming to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 9. Now he's going to show us 
who it is we should be worshiping, who it is we should be serving. He says, for in him, talking about Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Uh, you know, have you seen a conductor conduct the uh, band, the orchestra? I mean, this is when I read this uh, 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 verse, it's, I can just see a conductor. It's just so, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. It just smooth, flows so smoothly. It just makes so much sense. Everything about God is in Jesus. <laughs> Everything we want to know about God is in Jesus. Huh? This word fullness, look, look. For in Him, all the fullness. This word fullness, this is the strongest Greek word that Paul could have used. There was no other stronger word than pleroma. He said, in him, all the pleroma of deity or the Godhead of the Godhead dwells. You know, one writer said, the fullness, the totality, the completeness of all things is in Christ. Hey, don't look at the stars, don't look in the galaxy, don't look at the occult magic. Everything is in Christ. <laughs> He's undiminished deity. Undiminished. Undiminished deity. Undiminished. Your Bible says, may say, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead the King James reads but the word deity and the word Godhead means the same thing and that's about as close as you're going to get to the word Trinity because the word Trinity is not in the Bible so when you see deity or when you see Godhead you're talking about the Father, Son and the Holy Ghost you're talking about the, the Holy Spirit you're talking about God the Father God the Son it Deity, uh, the Godhead, it's all in Jesus Christ. It's what Paul, he said, he said, the Pleroma, there is no other. Don't let these people fool you all. Colossians, he's telling them. And the reason he said that all of this deity, all this fullness, dwells in bodily form or in a body is because... The heretics, which was at uh, the church in Colossae, they they didn't believe that Jesus could be fully man and fully God. They couldn't believe that he could be very God, a very God, and at the same time be very man, a very man. They just couldn't believe that because they believed that Jesus was just an angel an apparition they didn't believe that he had a human body because they also didn't believe that 
there was any good thing that was in the human body. They believed that the physical body was evil in itself. You see the conflict now? You see why Paul wrote the way he wrote? Huh? You let them know, no, no, he was God in bodily form. With a body and all that. Five fingers, ten fingers, ten toes. He was still God. All the pleroma was in him. Hey! Ah, <laughs> uh, we're gonna stop right here. But John, John let us. John gave us a hint of this when he wrote in his copy. He said, "In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God." If we read that that uh, first John in the first verse a little bit closer, and, and read it in its original form, it would be in a beginning because we don't know we wasn't there but all we know it was a beginning we don't know which beginning that God began but he it's a in a beginning which had no beginning was the word ah <laughs> uh, all the fullness of the Godhead body Oh God, we thank you. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. Holy Father, we ask that you go with us in the days of he- ahead as we go to celebrate the holiday season we call Christmas. Though we know that you wasn't born on that day, we know, we know that. But Lord, we're just glad that you were born, that you came to earth that you came for our salvation, that you came to save us from our sins. We're glad that you came. We're glad that you looked down on this uh, ball of dirt called earth and you wrapped yourself in sinful flesh for little old me. And you elevated us, Holy Father, so we can be sons and daughters of God. We bless you. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. Lord, let each and every one of us touch another heart. Touch another soul. Lift somebody up. If it's just in word or in deed, uh, spread goodness. Spread love. Be Christ-like. In Jesus' name we pray. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. God bless you. Good night. <laughs>